0: What does a star win in a competition? I don't
1: know what.
0: A constellation
2: prize.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's time
3: for the children's hour.
2: It's Public Radio. Whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid, obnoxious, or daft, and you feel that you've had. Quite enough! Just remember that you're standing On a planet that's evolving And revolving at 900 miles an hour That's orbiting at 90 miles a second So it's reckoned A sun that is the source of all our power The sun and you and me And all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day in an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way. Our galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars, it's a hundred thousand light years side to side. The is in the middle, 16,000 light-years thick, but out by us it's just 3,000 light-years wide. We're 30,000 light-years from galactic central point, we go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe.
1: That's Monty Python from Monty Python Sings with the Galaxy Song. Hello, I'm Katie Stone. You're listening to the Children's Hour. I'm here with a lot of great kids. Who's with us today? Hi, it's Corbett.
3: Hi, my name is Lucas. Hi, my name is Kaibia. Hi, it's Joe. Hi, it's Lily mae Hi,
4: this is Xander.
1: Hi, it's Gareth. Hi, it's Kodiak. Well, thank you all so much for being here on Zoom and also out in listener land. The kids are on Zoom right now with us because we're going to be speaking with somebody who's in such a different time zone that we had to talk to him on Zoom. And Professor Raman Prinja wrote a brand new book called Wonders of the Night Sky. Astronomy starts with just looking up. It's an illustrated guide to what we can see just looking up in our own backyards, wherever we are standing here on this planet. I can't wait to talk to him. Stick with us. We're going to learn a lot about astronomy today on the Children's Hour. But first, this is Wendy and DB from Hey Big World.
5: What do you see when you look up in the sky at night? What do you see when you look up in the sky at night? The first star I see, I wish I may, I wish I might. Have the wish, I wish. What do you see when you look up in the sky at night? What do you see when you look up in the sky? What do you hear when you look up in the sky at night? Listen. What do you hear when you look up in the sky at night? A symphony of crickets just singing.
1: listening to The Children's Hour. And today on the show, we have Professor Raman Prinja. He is a professor at the University College London in the Department of Physics and Astronomy. In fact, he's head of that department. Welcome to The Children's Hour,
4: Professor Prinja. Thank you, Katie. It's lovely to join you all. Uh, it's a long way away in London, but it's uh, it's lovely to see all the lovely blue skies of Albuquerque there behind him. Fantastic.
1: <laughs> it's pretty nice here. Professor Pinja. we have you on the show today because you have just published a most extraordinary book. It's called Wonders of the Night Sky. Astronomy Starts with Just Looking Up. I have been enjoying reading this book and its beautiful illustrations. And we just got very excited about talking with you about the things you are discovering that we can learn just by looking up in our backyards about astronomy. Tell us a little bit about the book you just published.
4: What I wanted to do is give young readers like yourselves a guide, if you like, a guide to the night sky that you can get out into your backyards and you can just Do some astronomy. You can learn about space. And I wanted to set out a lot of interesting things that you can go and discover. You can go and look out for, give some tips of how you'd go about doing this. There are some some tips you can have. And just also, as you go through this book, I wanted to also explain some of the things you are seeing. So you sort of, if you see stars of different colours, I tell you a little bit about why, you know, why do you see stars of different colors? Or if you see the, the Milky Way band stretching across your beautiful uh, skies in the United States, for example, what is that band? So, you know, to actually also teach you a little bit of what you're looking at. So you enjoy it more. You enjoy it. You want to discover more about it. But the main thing is for you to just written a book so you can just go out and really enjoy the night nice sky. Cause it's beautiful. It's It's free. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And it's, they're wonders of nature, aren't they?
1: Really, it's true. We recently here in New Mexico had a phenomenon of astronomy. It was called an annular solar eclipse. And what we got to see here where we live is the moon drift across the sun in the middle of a morning and leave a little ring of light around the edge of the moon and the whole place around here got very chilly and dark. Oddly, not totally dark, but pretty dark. So I want to start there with eclipses. What makes an eclipse happen and why are they so rare and why can they only be seen in certain bands around the country or the world?
4: There are certain times when the moon and the earth and the sun are so perfectly lined up, so perfectly lined up, that the moon pretty much almost blocks out the glare of the sun. It needs perfect alignment. This is why they're rare. They happen very rarely because you need really this perfect lineup between the earth, the moon and the sun. What then happens is that the shadow of the moon is cast onto the earth. For that period. So, when you were watching this, that's what you were you were in the shadow of the moon. And because the shadow of the moon is not that large, you have to be in in that position. And as the moon then orbits around the Earth, that shadow starts to travel across the Earth. It can only be seen where the shadow is moving across the Earth. So, to see them, you have to be in the path of the shadow. I mean, you could chase it if you're fast enough in an airplane, you could go with the shadow. That's fantastic. But most of us can't do that. Most of us have to wait and hope that in our hometown one day that shadow might pass. And you got very lucky now. And the total solar eclipse you're talking about which is going to happen on the 8th of April next year. It's gonna be even more remarkable because this time it will get really dark. You, will, you won't be able to see your pals just standing a few yards away from you. It's gonna be that dark in the daytime. And the birds are gonna be very confused. The animals are gonna get confused. It's gonna get chilly, but it's going to be a true wonder of the day sky, but it's gonna be like a nice sky. I think it's gonna pass across 13 of the states in the US. So a lot of people in the US will get a chance to see this amazing thing, this amazing total solar eclipse next year. We're one of the only places in the solar system where the moon almost exactly blocks out the sun.
1: You mean normally other planets, their moons are too big or too small?
4: Too small. Not, 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 Not genuinely small, it's just that for them the size of the moon in the sky is just not going to block out the entire sun because of where the moons are and how far the sun away. What well, we're very lucky here is that we have this perfect, lucky lineup where the moon and the sun happen to be in the sky about the same size. Although the sun is much larger, it's 400 times further away, but the moon is 400 times smaller. So it's almost a perfect lineup. Very lucky.
1: That math about the ratio of the sun and the moon and the earth and the placement of the moon relative to the sun and the earth, all of that math behind that aligns so perfectly. It's just fascinating. We're speaking with Professor Raman Prinja. He just wrote a book called Wonders of the Night Sky, Astronomy Starts with Just Looking Up.
6: a nice day for a tour.
1: That's Pumpkinhead Ted from the new Bedford Knockabout release. You're listening to the Children's Hour. I'm Katie Stone. And speaking of eclipses, a total solar eclipse is going to take place in North America on Monday, April 8th, 2024. You can learn a lot more. There's a link at childrenshour.org. Look for this episode. Just look up. We've got more with Professor Raman Pinja, and we're going to explore more of our night sky just from our backyard. But first, this is Lisa Lowe, right here on the Children's Hour. Can you catch the moon?
3: So God bless the moon, and God bless
1: me, and God bless the one that I long to see. From Greg Brown's Bathtub Blues, that was I See the Moon, Lisa Loeb's title track, Off Her Catch the Moon CD was before that, and in the background you're hearing Poddington Bear. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and today we're exploring what we can see when we just look up from wherever we're standing on the planet after dark. For more information on anything you're hearing about, go to childrenshour.org. This episode is called Just Look Up. You're listening to the Children's Hour. We'll be right back. The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated. We're a New Mexico based nonprofit organization supported by listeners just like you. Learn more about us at Children'sHour.org. Electric Playhouse supports the Children's Hour. Find your play at Electric Playhouse in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's fun for kids and adults who want to play like a kid again. ElectricPlayhouse.com. The New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs supports the Children's Hour. Learn more about New Mexico's statewide seasonal events at newmexicoculture.org/traditions. Welcome back to the Children's Hour. Today on the show, we have the head of physics and astronomy at University College London with us, Professor Ramon Prinja. The kids have a lot of questions for him about what we see when we just look up.
5: So you said that the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun. How big is Earth compared?
4: The Earth is about about 100 times smaller. You could fit just over 100 Earths across the width of the sun.
1: Gosh, I really thought the sun was bigger. I know that seems like it's really big, but... I thought the Sun was a lot bigger than
4: that. It's bigger as a volume, but not in the diameter. If if you see what I'm saying, you could fit millions of Earths inside it. But if you're looking at the actual diameter of something and how many we'd fit across its diameter, then it's a different number.
1: Fascinating. Uh,
4: How often do stars collide and what happens when they do? Stars don't collide very often, actually, because... The space between stars is so wide, it's very rare for these stars to come and actually collide with each other. They're too far apart for this to happen. In the case where they do collide, it's because they were born very close together. Some stars, when they're first made, they're actually born and they're very close together. They start to spin around each other and come closer and closer. In those cases, you could have a big explosions of some kind. You could create... Again, very exotic objects like these neutron stars and black holes could happen out of that when they do come together like that. They would have to be born pretty close together for that to happen. So it's pretty rare. Normally, stars mm. are, are not going to go smashing into each other. Galaxies will smash into each other, but not stars.
0: Wow. What does your research focus on?
4: Here at the University in London, I study the most massive stars in our galaxy. So not all stars are the same. The sun is actually a normal kind of star. Some stars are born maybe 20, 100 times more massive than the sun. So I do my research on those stars. These are the stars that will end their lives in huge explosions called supernovae. And the things that are left behind are very strange, really bizarre objects called neutron stars and black holes. So I study the lives of these most massive stars uh, in, in our galaxies. When
1: a supernova happens, does that ever get seen on planet Earth just by normal people like us not looking up with a telescope?
4: Oh yeah. So there are examples in cave drawings of people recording that this has happened. So I think uh, you, you will, you do see them, you do see them. But they have wow. they're more, they're, they're rare, rare events.
1: Can you predict when it would happen? Can you say to us, and in five years, if you look up at such and such a place, you're going to see this event?
4: We can predict them, but not at, not in five years. What we can do is we can tell that in a few million years, something's going to happen. So, for example, uh, the beautiful constellation of Orion, which is one of the most amazing ones to explore, by the way, by just looking up with your eyes. It's Orion the Hunter, great Stories about this constellation. It has two massive stars, and one of them, Betelgeuse, is expected to go supernova explode probably within about two to three million years. That's the best we can say. You can't say it's going to happen in five years. That's impossible.
1: So it's not like an eclipse where you have a date. No. We just no, have to no. say in a couple million years, you'll see this. So I
3: heard you talk about black holes, and I know that black holes are dark matter, but what really is dark matter?
4: Black holes aren't really dark matter. Black holes are really very, very dense regions of material that's just got ripped apart, spaghettified, if you like. So it's not really dark matter in that sense. Dark matter that you read about is particles, if you like, material that has a gravity But it's in very, very small particles all over the place. So, for example, the sun, there are streams of amazing particles, smaller than an atom, that are floating around. And there are so many of them that they have a gravity. We can't see them. That's why they call them dark. You you can't see them with your telescopes. That's why they call them dark. But they have a gravity. They have a mass. So that's what dark matter is.
1: It's kind of a miracle anyone could even discover something that you can't see that's just a dark spot and know that it has a mass. How do you know it has a mass if you can't see anything? How would you even know to look at that spot and say, let's look at this really dark
4: spot? Because what happens is it has a gravity. So you know something's out there, right? Okay, it might be invisible. You can't see the same thing with a black hole. You can't see a black hole. But if a, no- if a normal star comes near a black hole, you can see the normal star being pulled into this space, into that area. So something's pulling it. We know something's pulling it. We can't see it. Because it has a gravity, we can work out there must be something there, right?
1: Mm. We're talking with Professor Raman Prinja. He has just written a book called Wonders of the Night Sky. Astronomy Starts with Just Looking Up. He's the head of the Department of Physics and Astronomy at the University College in London. You're listening to the Children's Hour. We'll be right back.
7: Dark place. The strangest things in the universe and outer space. It has no surface like a planet or a star. It can suck you in from very far. It's a huge amount of mass in a small area. Black hole. A black hole. Black hole. Black hole Black hole They can be seen when we know that they exist Because matter schools around like the turning of a disc They become really hot and give off X-rays Biggest can be found in the Milky Way. Objects that fall into black holes are stretched to break a point.
1: From Marky Monday's Adventures in Space, that's black hole. You're listening to the Children's Hour. I'm Katie Stone. Today we're talking with Professor Roman Prinja. He's the departmental head of physics and astronomy at the University College London. He also is the author of a brand new book for kids, Wonders of the Night Sky, Astronomy Starts with Just Looking Up. It's an illustrated guide to what you can see as you look in the night sky. Professor Prinja, your book talks about how we can just look up and appreciate and understand astronomy, and you list many, many examples of things we can actually look for and tips about how we can find them. But what I want to know is what phenomenon in the night sky is the one that made you want to become a professor of astrophysics?
4: it's very simple the one that really always used to fascinate me and it's the easiest thing but we we tend to take it too much for granted and that's the moon there is so much to explore on the moon you know if you look at the day night line and even if you've got just a small pair of binoculars and you look along the day night line of the moon you can see so many amazing shadows of of mountains and craters and it's really got me hooked. You know, living in cities, you know, even Albuquerque, you know, and, and the rest of the big cities, you can always see the moon. But I think we we sometimes forget how beautiful it is. I used to think, wow, you know, Apollo astronauts were landing up there, you know, and you could actually go and ask yourself, whereabouts was that? You know, you could, and you just capture your imagination to think that these astronauts were walking on this place. And and I honestly I would recommend it to everyone. Don't ignore the moon. I mean, especially when you have a crescent moon or a half moon. If you've got a small pair of binoculars, just run that binoculars along the day night line, and just it's amazing. It's beautiful, and you can see these mountain ranges and craters, the shadows from them. It's lovely. And you, I just imagine, and just you know, let your imagination go. Because we're going back to the moon, right? So some of you on this screen got, could well be flying back to the moon, and I think yeah, it's very likely. That's pretty cool thought.
1: You know, one of the things that we have here in New Mexico is a ancient celestial observatory at Chaco Canyon. It was built more than a thousand years ago or so. There's actually an observatory (laughs) built into the rocks that shows us the cycle of the moon. Little did I know until I understood a little more about Chaco Canyon, like how the sun, it rises further in the south, in the northern hemisphere for us, in the winter, and then much further in the north in the summer, making it summer for us, the moon has a similar cycle of where it sets and where it rises over a many-year period. I think the cycle is 17 years, if I'm not mistaken. And I just find that fascinating. I don't think I even realized that the moon itself has its own pattern as to how it goes around the Earth. And it's not in this perfect circle. It's slightly off.
4: We think of everything being perfect circles in, in space, but quite a lot of them aren't actually perfect circles. I mean, Mars doesn't have a perfect circle as it moves around the sun and the Moon doesn't have a perfect circle. This is why, for example, you got an annular eclipse recently. It's because the Moon was just a little bit too far away from us to completely block out the Sun because its orbit, again, is not a perfect circle. Sometimes it's slightly closer to us. Sometimes it's slightly further away. This was an example where it was just a bit further away when that annular eclipse happened for you recently. So you've got the ring rather than the total eclipse you're gonna get next year. And it's also amazing that how so many of our ancestors did so much, really precise measurements of these things. They were so clever. I mean, they, you know, we know they were very clever they, they, because we could see around all the amazing things they were doing. But in astronomy as well, they made some remarkable measurements, really remarkable measurements. No computers, no mm. calculators, right? <laughs> just careful thinking. Just the,
1: just the original computer that's inside our heads.
4: The best one. <laughs>
3: So my dad has a PhD in physics and fusion that he got at Princeton. What do those have to do with astronomy?
4: When we look at the stars and we ask, well, why do they shine? Why does the sun shine? Okay, The sun shines because it's making energy right in its core. And the way it's making its energy is exactly what your dad does, which is fusion reactions. So there is inside the core, right in the center of the stars, there is this incredibly hot and pressured condition, if you like, like a cooker in there almost. You can have these nuclear fusion reactions. Each time you have a fusion reaction, huge amount of energy is released. So the sun today is taking 700,000 tons of hydrogen, converting it into 695,000 tons, if you like, every microsecond. And that little difference is the fusion reaction and an enormous amount of energy is being made so what your dad is looking at is really the engines of the stars the engines of the stars are these fusion reactions which your dad studies wow
1: this is they might be giants the sun is a
6: miasma of incandescent plasma the sun's not simply made out of gas, no, 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 the sun is a quagma. it's not made of fire, forget what you've been told in the past. Plasma. electrons are free, Plasma. a forced state of matter, not gas, not liquid, not solid,
1: Children's Hour. And today on the show, we're talking with Professor Raman Prinja. He's the Departmental Head of Physics and Astronomy at University College London. And he just wrote a new book called Wonders of the Night Sky. Astronomy starts with just looking up. What happens
3: if a planet touches the sun?
4: Planets are very, very tiny compared to the sun. So they would just get completely swallowed up. I mean, they would be burnt. So Our sun in about 5 billion years from now is actually going to swell up because it's going to start to die. And when that happens, the sun is going to become swollen up and it's going to just gobble up Mercury. It'll gobble up Venus. Earth might just about escape, but I think we need to leave the planet before then and find somewhere else to live. Planets can't survive if they get near stars like that. Stars are too hot, fiercely hot, and they will just gobble them up.
1: Well, it makes me wonder about solar flares. We can see pictures of solar flares. There are these little arcs. It almost looks like a bursting volcano is is spewing stuff into the universe. And when I think about solar flares, I think about a lot of things like the auroras that we can see on planet Earth. Right. That's when you're in a certain part of the planet, usually pretty far north or pretty far south towards the poles where the sky starts just looking weird, like there's colorful waves happening in the night sky can you explain what causes this amazing phenomenon of these auroras? And do they have something to do with solar flares?
4: Yeah, yeah, no, they're connected. So so this is another beautiful example of a wonder of the night sky, actually, because you're right. So what happens is the sun, occasionally it has these huge eruptions because there's a lot of magnetic fields and activity happening on the sun all the time. And When one of these giant eruptions happens, either a flare or something even bigger than a flare, which is called a mass erupt, big coronal mass ejection, these things get launched out. So you're getting really hot, charged particles being launched away from the sun. They're leaving the sun, they're really being thrown out into space. And if they hit the earth, what happens is they get trapped in the earth's magnetic field. We are lucky in some ways. We have a, a big magnetic field around the Earth, which protects us from a lot of these particles. But when you get a lot of electrically charged particles thrown out from the sun, they get trapped in the magnetic fields, and the Earth's magnetic fields pile in at the North and South Pole. So they enter the atmosphere from the north and the south pole. And because they're very energetic and they're very electrically charged in our atmosphere, they start to create these effects of light that you're starting to see. And that's the aurora. And they look a bit like these shimmering curtains, like the ones behind you there. Imagine like a sort of night, sort of shimmering curtains of beautiful blue and, and red and green colours. And that's the aurora. So you're getting these charged particles from the sun, entering the poles along the magnetic field lines, creating sort of reactions almost with the the gases in our atmosphere and you get these lights amazing lights and you do have to be quite north or quite far south yeah
1: that's Professor Raman Prinja and you can learn more and find links at childrenshour.org look for this episode just look up more coming up in just a minute
3: you're listening to the Children's Hour Kids Public Radio we'll be right back
1: to the Outpost Performance Space in Albuquerque, New Mexico for hosting the Children's Hour. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by United Way of North Central New Mexico. Support provided by the City of Albuquerque and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund. Bernalillo County is a proud supporter of the Children's Hour. Many thanks to the users at tokenibis.org who direct funds to the Children's Hour every week. You're listening to the Children's Hour. Today, we're talking with Professor Raman Prinja. He's written a book called Wonders of the Night Sky. Astronomy starts with just looking up. We're going to have a review of this book later on in the show. But for now, he joins us from University College London, where he is the head of the Department of Astrophysics.
3: Which outer planet moon is the most important for humans to study?
4: There's a lot of moons for us to explore out there. There's a lot of moons. I mean, you know, every time I look, Jupiter has more moons more than he had the day before. It's capturing you know, 80, 90 moons at the moment. Uh, Saturn has almost seventy moons. If I had to pick one of the most interesting, some of the most interesting moons for us to explore, I think, are these moons that seem to have an enormous amount of water beneath their icy surfaces. So, for example. One of the giant moons of Jupiter, which is called Europa, it's got a very thick, icy surface. But below the surface of that ice, there's more liquid water there than on the entire planet Earth. So it's going to be really amazing to try to drill through that ice, get a sort of submersible, sort of submarine under there, and try to explore what might be in that air, in that water there. So I think these moons that have so much water, so much more water than the Earth, are. Really interesting objects too. So I think they are the most fascinating right now, and there's a few of those.
1: When you look at Jupiter with a pair of binoculars, not even a telescope, I've seen four moons yeah. just with my binoculars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. is Europa one of those moons I'm seeing?
4: That's right. That's right. These are the four moons that Galileo Galilei first observed in sixteen. 16- Ten around there, uh, from Italy, the Italian astronomer, very famous. Uh, these are called the Galilean moons because they're named after him, right? But uh, Europa is one of those moons that you can see. So you, so actually, sometimes the Jupiter is really close and very bright, and you could definitely, with the binoculars, um, see these bright, four bright dots either side. You might see three on one side or one on the other side. But if you keep watching it night after night, you'll see them move because they're actually orbiting Jupiter, which is what Galileo did, Right. So they don't just stay there. If you see them on a Monday and you could see them again on a Friday, you'll see they will moved position. He worked out. They must be moving around Jupiter. There must be moons going around Jupiter. You have to ask yourself, how did Galileo figure out these are moons? That's how he did it. He didn't just watch it for one night. You know, a week for a whole week, maybe, or a few days later, you can see them move around. And Europa is one of them.
1: We're speaking with Professor Rahman Prinja. He is head of the Department of Physics and Astronomy at University College London, and he's also the author of a brand new book for kids called Wonders of the Night Sky, Astronomy Starts with Just Looking Up. Professor Prinja, thank you so much for being with us on the Children's Hour.
4: It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for all the lovely questions. I hope you continue to always explore and discover. Just look up. Just look up. My name is
7: G. Better. The biggest planet you see. No planet in our solar system is bigger than me. My name- as the sun how bizarre that much mass would cause the pressure and temperature within me to cause hydrogen to fuse with helium creating energy my gravity's 2.4 times more than earth so what does
1: This is Katie Stone, and I've been captivated by the illustrations and text in Professor Rahman Prinja's new book, Wonders of the Night Sky, Astronomy Starts with Just Looking Up, illustrated by Jan Bielecki and published by Aladdin, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. This book is written to educate 8 to 12-year-olds about astronomy, including our own solar system neighbors and constellations of stars visible in the night sky. It even covers space junk, meteor showers, and so much more. The book is illustrated with striking illustrations, which help kids envision each page's topic. Really, it's a navigation guide to the night sky that's sure to ignite a spark of love for astronomy in any kid. I give this book five out of five chilies. The book is called Wonders of the Night Sky. Astronomy starts with just looking up. It's written by our guest, Professor Raman Brinja, and illustrated by Jan Bielecki. It's published by Aladdin, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Find a link to this book and so much more at childrenshour.org. Look for this episode. Just look up.
8: Black, so I walk outside
1: was Kira Willey from How to Be a Cloud with Great Big Starry Sky. Before that, kids learning tube from their release called Planets of Our Solar System had Jupiter. And behind my little book review, that was Claudia Robin Gunn. She has a release called Little Wild Universe. You're listening to the Children's Hour and we're thinking about our wild universe that we can see right as we look up in the sky from wherever we stand on this planet, or maybe lay down on a blanket. It's wintertime now here in New Mexico, and it's a little chilly, but the stars are clear, and I've been seeing a lot of shooting stars. Maybe you'll see one too.
3: Rainbow sparkling galaxy shimmers in the moonlight. thousand universes
0: In golden times, people imagined bears and lions, gods and people in the sky. They thought they saw winged horses and wriggling snakes, sailboats and beautiful maidens. They invented interesting stories to explain how those constellations got there. That's how they got their names. Today, astronomers use the constellations to locate the stars. Scan the skies and recognize their names and their locations. Though they're only figments of our own imaginations, wouldn't it be heavenly to know the constellations? Hercules, Dolphinus, and Andromeda, and Lyra, Sagata, and Pegasus, Dorado, and Lucerne. Some major, some minor, Cetus and Orion. I could name a dozen more if I were really trying. In the zodiac, you'll find a dozen constellations. You can trace them in the sky with just a little patience. Leo Virgo Scorpius and Gemini and Taurus. Now who can name the other seven for us? what we see among the constellations atmosphere the time of year as well as their locations latitude and time of night are bright considerations each of them are factors when we see the
1: constellations we're out of time on The Children's Hour. I'm Katie Stone. You're hearing in the background Kathy Fink and Marcy Markser. Zoom a little, Zoom a ride through science is the name of that release. And Jackie B. in the miniband gave a shooting star. Thanks for listening to The Children's Hour. We'll catch you next time. The Children's
8: Hour is produced by The Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit.
3: You can find photos, links, learn along guides, and more about us at childrenshour.org.
1: Today's show is produced by me, Katie Stone, with help from Christina Stella, our senior producer, and Anne-Marie Awad. We also had production support from Gus Tafoya. Many thanks to Professor Roman Prinsha for being with us on the show today.
3: Find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or go to our Patreon.com slash The Children's Hour. Or ask your smart speaker to play The Children's Hour podcast. We
0: post our photos and more on Instagram and Facebook. Find us at TCH Radio.
3: Our theme music was written by C.K. Barlow. The Children's Hour is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and by the Pacifica Radio Network.
6: Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour. Kids Public Radio.